Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just wanna make sure you're aware of a few things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks at Hope Church LV, and also be sure to check out our website at hopechurchonline.com. There, you can find out more information about who we are and where we're going as a church. Once again, thank you so much for checking out this sermon at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. Amen. Well, I was glad when they said unto me, let us come to Hope Church. I tell you, I'd rather be in here than the best hospital in Las Vegas. What an absolute joy it is to be back with you this year. When I got the invitation to come and to share with you, uh, I, I leaped at the invitation. In fact, just this afternoon, I was checking in with, with my girl, my wife. We just uh, celebrated 20 years of marriage. I saw her in church. She had just got saved, and I felt called to the Lord to be a part of her spiritual formation strategy. <laughs> So, but uh, I was checking in with her today and uh, she was asking about the church and uh, I said, honey, like this is like a, a legit multi-ethnic church. Yeah. She was like, no. <laughs> I said, yeah, honey, this isn't one of those churches that say they multi-ethnic and they got the one minority and they take the picture and put it all over the website. Like <laughs> this is a real multi-ethnic church and they love each other and they're worshiping Jesus and Petty differences don't divide us. We're coming together. I praise God for that. It's great to be with uh, Pastor Vance and the leadership team and his great vision and what God is doing in and through him. Uh, I am grateful to God. You all need to thank God. If I was in a chocolate church, someone would have given a hand clap of praise uh, for their pastor. Um, but uh, we, we give God glory for that. We give God glory for that. If you have your Bibles, please meet me. Oh, there's that wonderful clock again. I got 39 minutes and 38 minutes and 58, 57. Yeah, y'all multi-ethnic. Our white brothers are operating the clock back there. <laughs> well, let me stop, let me stop, let me stop, let me stop. If you have your Bibles, please meet me in uh, James chapter 5, James chapter 5. As I was thinking about our time together, uh, I, I want to encourage us to go to James chapter 5, pick me up in verse 7. Interesting word tonight. This isn't necessarily uh, the first word that just jumps in my mind when I think about starting out the new year, and, but it's something the Holy Spirit has placed on my heart to share with you. Pick me up, verse 7. James writes, be patient. Therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being, here's that word again, patient about it. Until it receives the early and the late rains, you also, verse 8, be patient. Think he's trying to make a point? Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. 
I love this. Underline verse, uh, the first three words of verse 9. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain synonym for patience, steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen, underline this phrase, we'll land the plane here, the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Now, Father, would you speak to us tonight? I'm reminded, Lord God, that in a room like this, we're probably canvassing the whole spiritual spectrum. There are those, Lord God, who came to faith in you at an early age. They're represented tonight, and they've been walking with you for a while, and others are here, and they wouldn't call themselves a Christian, Lord God. But what I love about your word God, it has a unique way of speaking to all of us, no matter where we may be. So I pray that the seed of your word falls on good ground, that it takes root, that it produces fruit, that we would leave here not more just informed, but that we would leave here more transformed, changed into your image. Give me special grace, I pray. Stand in my body, think with my mind, and speak with my tongue. Those things you'd have us know, say, and do. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. One of the most um, disappointing things that could ever happen to an oyster is to have lodged within the confines of its shell a little teeny tiny grain of sand. Now, there are those moments, and it's, it's quite common when this oyster gets this grain of sand lodged within the confines of its shell. It finds it, locates it, expels it from the premises, and goes about, uh, goes about the day's affairs. This is normal. It, it gets rid of it. But, but now, there are those rare times when try as this oyster may, it just can't get rid of this grain of sand. It's in a situation it can't change. A circumstance it can't get out of. It's at this moment that this oyster is irritated, frustrated, exacerbated, and every other kind of unsanctified aided. (laughs) I I don't know how this reference is going to work in this crowd, but but it's at this moment, to quote a 90s urban poet, it, it feels as if it's about to lose its mind up in here. Oh, that works. Brother, you doing it. You doing it, Vance. You, you, you doing it. You doing it. This grain of sand, it, it, it just can't get rid of. But it's at this moment where this oyster has tried everything it can, it can that this oyster now reverts to, to one heck of a plan B. It is as if it shrugs its shoulders. I know oysters don't have shoulders. Work with me. (laughs) It's as if it shrugs its shoulders and says, if I can't get rid of it, let me make the most of it. 
So it locates this grain of sand and it begins to coat it over and over and over again with a liquid substance that ladies, when it solidifies and calcifies, it turns into something you paid top dollar for, a pearl. You do know at the end of the day, all a pearl is, is the fruit of a very frustrated oyster. So ladies, just remember that. Next time you put on your pearls, you're wearing someone's bad day. (laughs) And yet if there was no irritation, if there was no frustration, if there was no exacerbation, if there wasn't a sense of I'm about to lose it, there would be no pearls. God has sent me all the way from the Bible Belt of Silicon Valley (laughs) to say that every person in here today, no matter where you may be on the spiritual spectrum, you've been made in the image of God. There is a call on your life. God wants to make you a pearl of great price. He wants to lift you up as a trophy of his grace. Your mama and daddy may not have planned on you being here, and one of the ways you know that is if your closest sibling is a decade older than you, you you was a surprise. But in the sovereignty of God, you were not a surprise. You were created on purpose and for a purpose. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works. And yet, now comes the un-American part of the sermon. Because if I was in a different circle, cue the Hammond B3 organ. Let's run around the church, make me a pearl, make me a pearl, make me a pearl. But you gotta understand that our problem is, while we love the destination, we just want nothing to do with the process. For there is no such things as pearls without life's irritating, frustrating grains of sand. And our problem is we want to get to where we're going quick, fast, and in a hurry. But if you would take a tour of God's kitchen, you would be shocked to discover that in God's kitchen there are no microwaves. Only crockpots. So God says, Brian, you're here, and I've I've got a call on your life. I want you to be over here. I I, want to take you to a place of um, fall-off-the-bone succulent faith. And the worst thing I can do, Brian, is to give you a blessing that you do not have the character infrastructure to support. So to get you from here to over here, I got to put you in my divine crockpot. Slightly turn up the heat, put a lid on you, and put you in situations that the letters behind your name can't fix, the money in your account can't solve, your social network can't cure. But you're going to have to learn to just sit there and be patient because the only thing worse than waiting on God is wishing that you had.
So you're going to have to slow down. And be patient. We come now to the book of James. James is a part of a genre of scripture that we would call the epistles. The epistles are simply letters that are written to groups of people or, or churches. The, the major writer of the epistles is a guy by the name of Paul. And so you might be curious as to know, well, what's the difference between James's epistle and, and all the epistles that Paul wrote? Well, well, Greek scholars, because the New Testament originally written in a language called Greek, Greek scholars tell us that if you were to analyze James's letter in the original language of Greek, you would be shocked to discover uh, the frequency of imperatives. Now, all an imperative is is a command. James speaks in commands. His letter is just one command after another command after another command. In fact, the whole book begins with a command, count it all joy. Now in our text, straight out the gates, first two words, it's a command. Be patient. James ain't giving us tweetable advice to consider. He's not running something by us for us to ponder. He's not recommending. He's not suggesting. It is as if he's grabbing us by the collars and saying, I know you want to hurry up and get there, but I'm commanding you, be patient. Now, this is as technical as this little Sunday school lesson gets, so just hang in there with me. I'm coming to your neighborhood, but, but those two words, be patient, one word in the Greek, It's the Greek word makrothumos, makrothumos. Can you say that with me? Makrothumos. Now, makrothumos is a compound word. The the, the root word, thumos, it's from that word that we get the English word thermometer. You know, this instrument we use to measure heat. Thumos means anger. Macro means long. So macrothumos literally means to be long towards anger. So that the idea of patience literally means I'm in a situation that is testing my anger. It was the notable scholar, D.A. Carson, that that great venerable scholar who is at the Trinity Evangelical Divinity School there in Deerfield, Illinois, who in his wonderful book, Scandalous, he says, the reason why we Christians never, ever, 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 ever pray for patience is because we are theologically astute and sophisticated enough to realize that embedded in the very request for patience lies another request, and that is, God, put me in something I don't like. You don't learn patience when the money's flowing in. You don't learn patience when the career is going well. You don't learn patience in one of those rare seasons when the kids are being compliant. You don't learn patience in air-conditioned cushion seat environments. Prosperity is a horrible teacher. You only learn patience when you wake up one morning and there's a lump on your breast. And you go to the doctor and they run some tests and take a biopsy and there's cancer. 
surgeries and treatments. You only learn patience when, brothers, we go to that annual physical. And we think it's just a routine thing that we do every year. And you get the call from the doctor's office and they say, well, your PSAs are a little elevated and they run some more tests and it's prostate cancer and there's treatments. And you only learn patience when you just assume tomorrow will be another day at work and you walk in and there's the pink slip. You only learn patience when you've tried your best to be a faithful father to that child. You weren't perfect, but you did everything you could. And now they're out in the far country, turning their back on God. You only learn patience when, um, uh, yet again, you got to put on that hideous bridesmaid dress <laughs> and stand in line. And I know what you're thinking at the altar. She ain't even as cute as me. Now, I want to be careful with this illustration because single people need to know that marriage is not the end zone. Jesus is. And I also need to let you know, single people, that while there are a lot of single people wishing they were married, there are a lot of married people <laughs> wishing they were Hilarious. Hope her husband's not next to her. <laughs> Macrothumas. Macrothumas. Okay, preacher, thank you for that. Um, I feel encouraged, feel blessed. <laughs> but, 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 Pastor, I need you to come down a little bit. I, I, exactly what does patience look like? I, I love it. If you look back at verse 7, James says, if you want to know what, what biblical, God-glorifying patience looks like, he says, look to the farmer. I love this. No farmer goes to his barren field when it's time to get ready for harvest and looks at his barren field, then up at God and says, God, in the name of Jesus, I command corn. Corn God, waiting on you. You know that's not how it works. Farmer goes to the barren field and, 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 and plows and plows and plows and sows and sows and sows and cultivates and cultivates and cult day in and day out, week in and week out. But he does all this backbreaking work, laboring under one assumption, and that is unless the Lord sends the rain, my labor is in vain. So that the farmer teaches us, here it is, that patience is never passive resignation. It is always active participation. It is me doing my something, waiting on God to do his something, knowing that when God adds his something to now my something, now we have something. And of course, 
The biblical preeminent example of that is Paul. Did you not realize that most of Paul's letters are written from his crock pot called jail? When Paul gets to jail, he does not throw a pity party. He gets to jail and he says, hey, do you have a pen and some piece of paper? There's some people I want to encourage. There's some churches I want to strengthen. So in his crock pot, he writes and he writes and he writes. And read these letters. We see something else he does in his crock pot. In each of these letters, he says, I'm praying for you. So that he's writing and praying and writing and praying. And then to the Philippians, he says, thank you for your partnership. But I want you to know, since I've been in jail, the gospel has gone forth throughout the whole Praetorian Guard. The Praetorian Guard were two individuals who were chained to either side of him. And it's like Paul says, we're stuck together. So let me just tell you about Jesus. He tells them about Jesus. They rotate off. Two more come on. He tells them about Jesus so that he's run out of people to witness to while in the crock pot. Listen, yes, you can cry. Yeah, weep. Yeah, I know it hurts. But at some point, you got to talk to yourself. And you got to say, I'm here. How can I turn this grain of sand into a pearl? Who can I encourage while I'm going through? I used to pastor in Memphis, and, um, um, and I'm a Delta guy. Bless you. And, and the thing about living in Memphis and being a Delta guy, it, it, it means that, that you could never really fly anywhere direct. You always had to go through Atlanta. In fact, in Memphis, we had a saying that the way to hell will have a layover in Atlanta. <laughs> so here I am. One time I had to fly up to Chicago. I know it makes perfect geographical sense. I had to preach in Chicago. So here I am in Memphis. I, I catch a plane, fly first down south to Atlanta, change planes to go right back up north, fly over Memphis to go to Chicago. So my, in, my, in my connection, uh, they were having some mechanical issues. We got it figured out. Finally, we fly to Chicago, and, um, and, and, and I'm looking at my clock. It's going to be a tight one for me to actually make the event, and I know I'm going to have to land in O'Hare and, uh, and deal with traffic, and so it's tight, tight, tight. And here we are. We get to Chicago, and God bless the pilot, but this pilot unsolicited decided to give us, to bless us with an aerial tour of the city of Chicago. We, we just keep going around and around and around, and, and I am macrothumasing right now. I'm, I'm getting angry. My blood is boiling. Don't you understand? I got places to go, things to do, land the plane. But at the same time, it's at that moment that I knew exactly what was going on because we were in what's called in the aviation circles a holding pattern, and the idea of a holding pattern is the pilot is in communication with a group of individuals in a tower. They sit up high and they look down low and they have access to information we don't have access to. And so the holding pattern is not for my frustration. It is on purpose because actually if they landed the plane on my schedule, we would probably die. Ever felt like you were in a holding pattern where you were just 
just going around and around and around. Well, you need to know God sits up high and he looks down low and he sees what we can't see and he knows what we don't know. So your holding pattern is not for your frustration. God is up to something in the wait. Oh, and I love this. Verse 9, look at it. He says, oh, why are you in your holding pattern? Do not grumble. Somebody said, just say ouch right there, just ouch. Do not grumble. Here is James. He is writing to ethnic Jews who have recently converted to Christianity. They have, these ethnic Jews have recently become followers of Jesus. And, and I promise you that when these ethnic Jews read this, do not grumble, the first thing they think of are their, their, their ancestors and the holding pattern, the 40-year holding pattern called the wilderness. Did you know the trip from Egypt to the promised land was supposed to only take six weeks? But because of murmur, 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 grumble, 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 God added 39 years and 46 weeks to their journey. It's as if God's saying, we should have turned the page by now. Shoot, we should have been out of this chapter onto another book by now. But you keep taking laps around Mount Sinai because your attitude is foul. I wonder who God is saying to tonight. In my perfect will, you should have been out of this by now, sweetheart. Young man, in my perfect will, you, you should have been past this. But your attitude, no joy, bitterness, cynicism, negativity. Your situation is not ultimately about your happiness. It is about the glory of God. And God gets glory when we count it all joy. Do not grumble. Plus, grumbling just ain't cute. <laughs> Can I say that? Like, like when I was single, I took a girl out one time, and she complained the whole time. And nothing in me said, ooh, can we do this again? <laughs> can I speak a word to you seasoned saints? The church does not need old people. The church needs patriarchs and matriarchs. There's a difference. Patriarchs and matriarchs, studied in the Bible, are individuals who leverage the odometer of their spiritual walk with Christ to invest down in future generations, inspiring them to a destiny. If you are a seasoned saint, you are supposed to be holding court at the local diner 
with a long line of young people begging to glean pearls of wisdom from you. And if no one is asking you to mentor them, it could be because your landscaping is off. Are you just an older person or are you a patriarch and matriarch? It's disheartening how I see families breaking up. I had one of, the, one of the mothers in my church. She had to have an appointment with me, and we sit down. She says, I need you to fix that new daughter-in-law of mine. I says, well, mother, what's going on? She done messed up my Christmas card. I said, well, mother, what did she do? Well, every March, we've been doing this for years, we go to this special place for spring break, and we hang out. We've been doing this since the kids were were little. Wednesday of that week, we all put on our white linen. We traipse out to the beach just as the sun is setting. The photographer comes out, takes the picture. Well, now this woman doesn't want to go on the spring break trip, and she done messed up my Christmas card. And I'm saying, I wouldn't want to go on spring break with you either. One of my good friends just became the youngest pastor in the history of this church down south. And I was so excited for him. I sat down with him. I sat down with him and I just said, hey, man, how's it going? How's it going? And he was not smiling. He said, you want to know how how it's going? He says, I need to be doing about 10 funerals and it'll be going really well. And he just painted a picture of just grumbling, complaining people. And here's what kills me about church people. You'll grumble, 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 and be back next Sunday. (laughs) Like, I'd, I'd, I'd love to just lie and write a sweet recommendation letter for you to go to another church. James is telling us patience is not just physical. It's not just what happens with your body. It's with your attitude. How's your attitude? As we round third and head for home, James continues. He says in verse 10, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed to remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. I love this. My, my youngest son, I was telling you last year, he's a, he's a baller. Around our house, we call him, like I told you, RP, retirement plan. <laughs> and I'm saving all these receipts. If you walk into my son's room, there's, there's all these posters. There's, man, there's Kobe Bryant posters. My son is really torn up about that. There's Michael Jordan. There's Steph Curry. And there's times I've seen him looking at these posters, gleaning inspiration. He grabs his ball, goes out to our court in the backyard, and works on his game. These posters inspire. <coughs> you know what James is saying? When it comes to patience, we have some patience posters in the Bible. They're called the prophets. 
get to know the prophets. The prophets are God's divine show and tell of his patience. Sit with Ezekiel. God says, Ezekiel, my people just don't get how patient I am with them. So I, I want to use you as a visual that I'm patient with them, that, that when they're faithless, I'm faithful. So here's what I want you to do. Strip down naked, leave on your loincloth, lay on your left side. Ezekiel's like, for how long, God? God says, for 390 days, don't move. Because I don't move with my people. I'm patient. Did you ever stop to consider that you're here today because of the patience of God? Did you ever stop to consider of what would happen to us if God ever got impatient with us the way we get impatient with him? You are breathing. You are functioning because of the patience of God. God comes to Hosea. And he says, my bride keeps on cheating on me, but I want them to know that our relationship, overused phrase, is not quid pro quo. It's not transactional. It's not performance-based. So here's what I want you to do. I want to illustrate that I'm in covenant, not in contract with them. I want you to marry a girl named Gomer. In the words of, um, of, of, of that great 90s poet, uh, it, it, this ain't the kind of girl you'll take home to mama. And when she cheats on you, I want you to go back and get her. Because when you cheat on me, I go get you. Patience. And then there's the Michael Jordan of patience. James says, you've seen the steadfastness of Job. You talk about a crockpot. Job chapter 1, he loses all his money, all his possessions. He goes to a funeral with 10 caskets, each casket holding one of his kids. Parents aren't supposed to bury kids. It's covered from head to toe with boils. His wife is chirping in his ear, curse God and die. And Job, in Job chapter 19, would you hear it? In the midst of all this, he says, I know my Redeemer lives. Job teaches us that when going through tough times, always let what you know about God trump how you feel about God. I know God is good even when he doesn't feel good. And then he says, you've seen the purpose of the Lord. There's a purpose to the cancer. There's a purpose to the wayward child. There's a purpose to the pink slip. There's a purpose to the financial difficulties. There's a purpose to the struggle. What you're going through is not random. It is not haphazard. God is working it out. There's a purpose. I'm in my seat. Growing up, my mama had an annoying hobby. It's called cross-stitching. Anybody ever cross-stitch? <laughs> cross-stitching just involves taking a piece of cloth and weaving in thread. I call it annoying because mama would always do this sitting on a sofa. <clears throat> and I'd always watch her do this sitting at her feet, which means I was looking at it from the bottom up. You ever watch somebody cross-stitch from the bottom up? 
All you see are dangling threads. No rhythm, no rhyme, no reason, a picture of chaos. And, and I know I'm in Vegas, so this won't work here, but your pastor's from the South, so he'll get it. <laughs> Watching Mama do this for hours, it felt like Mama's cheese had slid off her cracker. <laughs> you got it, Pastor? Got it, got it. And finally, one day, I couldn't take it. Mama, 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 why you do this? You do this for hours. All I see is dangling threads, no rhythm, no rhyme, no reason, just chaos. Why are you doing? You're wasting your time. And mama just smiled and patted on the sofa next to her and invited me to sit down next to her. And when I sat down next to her, I no longer saw things from the bottom up. Now I saw it from the top down. And when I saw it from the top down, I saw order. I saw beauty. I saw structure. I saw form. I saw shape. And years later, when I reflected on that, it dawned on me, is not that the problem with life? The problem with life is the problem of perspective. We only see it from the bottom up and we go through things and it looks like dangling threads, no rhythm, no rhyme, no reason. And it feels like God's cheese has slid off his cracker. God is saying, oh, if you could sit down next to me, you would see that all things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to his purpose. You would see that he who began the good work in you will be faithful to complete it. You will see that he's up to something. He's working it out. And all he asks for us in the middle of it all is to be patient. working it. The question we must ask of every sermon is what do I do with what I just heard? Sometimes we hear the word of God and it's a, it's a good word, but it's just not where I'm at. And other times we hear the word of God and it's what the scriptures call a word in season. I don't need to save that word for another day. That's a right now word. I want to pray. I'm not going to ask you any questions. I don't need to know any details. But if you're here and you would say right now, Pastor, I'm in the crock pot. Right now. I want to pray for you. Would you stand? If that's you, you would say, I'm in the crock pot right now. Right now. That's, that's where I'm at. It's where I'm at right now. I'm not going to ask you any questions about the situation. But this is where you're living right now. I want to pray. I tell my church prayer is not a spectator sport, it's a team sport. So you have freedom in this place. If there is someone standing near you, I want to encourage you. You may want to stand with them. You might, may want to rest a hand on them. You might want to extend a hand towards them. But let's, let's call on God together. Let's encourage our friends. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for every person who 
by their straightening of their legs. He's saying, I'm, I'm in a situation I don't like. I'm in a crock pot. I pray for them right now in the name of Jesus. And oh, I'm reminded of the words of David in Psalm 8. When he says, what is man that you are mindful of him? So first, Lord God, I pray for everyone who stands that they would know that you know. You're mindful. You see. You hear. That what they're in is, is no surprise to you. You know it. You know about the marriage on life support. You know about the season of loneliness. You know about the debt. You know about that decision. You know about the upcoming surgery. You, you know, you know, you know. But God, this, this, this part really blesses me. David goes on to say, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care? God, not only do you know, you actually care. You care. You care. You, you care about that burden I'm carrying. You, you care about that wayward child. You, you care about that thing that's wearing me out. You care about that, that thing that I'm struggling with as it relates to anxiety. You you care, you care, you care. So we rebuke the enemy right now in the name of Jesus who would seek to tell us that God doesn't care. That's a lie from the pit of hell. You care, you care, you care. In fact, would you just speak over yourself right now these words, God cares. Say it again, God cares. One more time, God cares. So God, I end this prayer with two more things. One, I just want to quote, not some well-known preacher, not some name-it-claim-it preacher, not some televangelist. I, I, I just want to quote Jesus right now. Here's what you said, Jesus. I'm going to hold you to your word. You said, ask, and it will be given to you. Yes. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. So the one seeks, finds. So the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So here's what we're asking based on your word, Jesus. Cure the cancer. Bring home the wayward child. Replenish the finances. Grant the job. Give us favor. Cure the anxiety. Rid us of the addiction. And while we wait for our breakthrough, give us the strength to be patient. Not just in our bodies, but in our attitudes. Give us the attitude of Paul, who while in jail says, Hey, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I'm good. Regardless of how this thing turns out, I'm good. If God is with me, I'm good. So we trust you in that. 
we declare we will be patient. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. In just a moment, our team is going to lead us in one final song of worship as we bring this two-day event to a close. And we're going to just open these steps up again like an altar. If you want to just come and lay some burden before the Lord here on this altar, we're going to have pastors here along the front. If you want to pray with a pastor about something in your job, your health, your family, your marriage, or maybe you're here tonight, somebody brought you and you don't know this God that Brian talked about. You've never experienced the forgiveness of sin and the grace of God in your life. And you want to know how you can become a child of God. While we're singing this song, you can come to one of these pastors and all you need to say is, I need Jesus. And we'll sit down and show you from the Bible how you can experience salvation and forgiveness tonight. Because you need to know this God that he talked about, he loves you. He loves you. So let's stand together. We're going to sing this song of worship. The altar's going to be open. Our pastors are here. You move as the Lord leads. God, have your way tonight. Lord, as we sing this song of worship, may we lift our voices in praise to you. May we surrender. And God, may we cry out to you. Holy Spirit of God, have your way.